All we need is a little understanding Walk a mile in their shoes And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride called life And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride, this wild ride called life Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Truth We High podcast. Today's topic is something that we've never discussed before, but now that I have teenagers, well, not, I have one teen, 18 year old, and a 20 year old, this topic is needed. We, we should have actually talked about this a while ago, but I am really happy to have Richard Capriola on here today because he is going to talk about his book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I mean, that right there. I was just saying the other day how there's no parent hound book, but I think this book is something that's lost and is absolutely needed. And so he has actually been a mental health and addictions counselor for over two decades. He has treated both adults and adolescents diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse disorders. So Richard, thank you so much for being on here and having this discussion that we we don't have and that we absolutely need. Well, thank you, Annette. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today to talk about this issue because it is an issue that affects so many families and so many parents. And And, and I have met with uh, hundreds of them over the years and, and seen their struggle as they try to work through coping with a child who's abusing alcohol or a drug like marijuana. And I, I when I left Menninger, I, I worked for Menninger for a, a little over a decade. Um, and when I left, I, I set about to write this book for parents and, and really for anyone who's interested in adolescent substance abuse. I wanted to keep it uh, short. It runs about 100 pages. I wanted the chapters to be concise, non-technical. I wanted it to be a book that a parent or, or, or anyone could read very quickly and have as a resource and walk away and with the understanding that they've got this. They understand this better now. So the chapters are not technical. It's not bogging you down with a lot of scientific jargon and research. It's very straightforward. Um, and, 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 and like I say, I wanted it to be a roadmap and a resource for, for anyone interested in adolescent substance abuse. That's perfect. And I appreciate that you did that because there are books out there that were like, we don't even understand what half of this stuff means. We just want <laughs> you to tell me how to handle this situation. <laughs> and so that's great. I'm glad that you did that. And I and I just marked it down for, for people. You know, so many people read on an electronic device these days. Right. So I just marked it down to 99 cents. Oh my gosh. So I wanted it to be very affordable for any parent that uh, that might want to have it a, as a resource, even if their children are like in preteens. Um, you know, knowledge is power. So uh, have the information, have it available, um, and it's it's a it's a very quick read uh, resource. 
Absolutely. No, that's perfect. And I think it's never too early to start reading about this because you don't know what's going on out there. There's so many things happening. Well, the, the number of parents that, that, that I worked with, when I would sit down with them and I would go over their child's history of using alcohol and drugs, one of the most common responses I heard from parents was something like, I had no idea this was going on. Yeah. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say things like, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So parents need to be prepared. They need to know what the warning signs are. They need to know what assessments need to get done, and they need to know what their treatment options are. And that's the whole purpose of my book. No, that's that's absolutely, again, it, it's needed. And so when you have worked with these adolescents, what's the age? What's the earliest age you've seen? And do you, has it been told why they even started abusing drugs or alcohol? Well, the earliest age that, that, that I've seen has probably been 11 and 12 years old. Oh uh, the, but the majority are, are, you know, like 15, 16, 17 year old uh, uh, girls and boys. Um, when we look at the age range, what we see is that uh, children who are using substances at a very early age, and these are like seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds, tend to use inhalants that they find around the house. Mm. These might be glue pens, they might be glue, might be paint, might be anything that 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 is an is an inhalant. Um, they tend to get out of that after you know nine or ten years old, and maybe move on to other drugs like marijuana. Now, why children turn to substances? That's that's many different reasons. Some of it out of curiosity. Uh, they, they see their friends doing it. They get curious about it. They try it. They either like it or they don't. Uh, sometimes it's peer pressure. Uh, they may hang around with people and eventually the peer pressure gets to them. Uh, but in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, what I've found is there's an underlying psychological issue that's, that's motivating that child to use a substance. Uh, for example, uh, many of the children that I worked with who were smoking marijuana and were smoking it multiple times a day, mm -hmm. when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So many times um, when we when we get past the alcohol and drug use, we, we dig underneath that, we often find that a child's using a substance to medicate an underlying psychological issue like anxiety. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised right now because of all the things that are happening in the world. And yes. that's probably the only thing that they think is safe enough to do because I'm sure, you know, they could get a, a pills or uh, worse things out there. And, and so, I mean, how, how, what is your reaction with that? Are you, I kind of, I'm kind of not surprised. I, I don't know. I'm not surprised because when, when we look at two different variables that, that explain why children are using substance, we look at availability 
and we look at harmfulness. So when it comes to availability, if we ask teenagers, how easy is it for you to get a substance like marijuana? About 80% of them will tell you it's very easy for them to get it if they want it. If we ask them, well, how easy is it for you to find uh, a drug like LSD? 30% of them will tell you it's easy for them to get. And over 80% will tell you it's easy for them to get alcohol. So these substances are readily available to teenagers. So availability is one major issue. The other one is harmfulness. Do these teenagers see drugs as being very harmful? And the answer is no, they don't. When we ask them, well, how harmful do you think smoking marijuana regularly is? Only about 30% of seniors say they think that's harmful. When we ask them, okay, well, how harmful do you think it is having one or two drinks of alcohol nearly every day? Only about 24% of seniors will tell you they think that's harmful. So, you know, availability, these substances are readily available for any teenager who wants to find them. And the perception of low harmfulness is fueling what we're seeing going on. That's incredible. It's it's it is really scary how easy it is to get some of these things. I just it, it's very easy for them. So how do you help them? Are you, do you help them um, try to figure out ways to stop using, or do you help them figure out why they're using? How, how, what exactly are you helping them with when they're in these situations? Well, first, I'm, I'm just trying to understand why they're using the substance. That's, that's key, because if I don't understand how they're, why they're using a substance, I, I really can't, you know, take them in the direction of getting away from it. So it's important for me to know if a child is using uh, a substance like marijuana for anxiety, or perhaps it's, it's, it's depression, or it might be, um, you know, some trauma that, that they've experienced mm -hmm. in their life. Maybe they've been bullied at school, or, or, they've, or they've had a, a, a loss in the family structure. So it's important to, to understand, first of all, why a child is using a substance. And, and then, um, as, as my book points out, there's a chapter in the book about comprehensive assessments, because if you suspect your child is using a substance, you need more than just an addictions assessment. You need a comprehensive assessment. And my book lists the different tests that you should get. And one of them is a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment so that you know what else is going on in your child. You know, how's, how, is the, how are these substances affecting your child's brain? Um, because many of the kids that I worked with, um, their IQs were above average to superior, but because they were smoking so much marijuana, the processing speed of their brain was below average and their short-term memory was impaired. So a psychological uh, assessment will give you as a parent a better understanding of why your child might be using a substance and, 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 and will tell you one way or the other if there are underlying emotional issues that need to be addressed. Wow. I'm sure I, I've never even, I didn't never even knew about all those things. So I'm, I'm just glad that you even have this book out there. I've been fortunate enough to not have all these situations, but you just never know. I mean, I think the, <laughs> One of the things that really bothers me out there right now is the vaping. Do you have yes. 
So please help me understand that really quick because I think that's one of the biggest issues right now. And, and I'm, I'm just going to say it out here right now. My daughter vapes. I've been trying to tell her to get off of it, but she's 20, almost 21, all the way in Texas. I can't tell her what to do. I've been trying to tell her how harmful it is, but in their minds, well, it's only the waterless vape. I still, I'm still not getting it. I still think it's harmful, but can you give us your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that we've noticed in the last three years, there has been a tremendous increase, a surge of adolescents who have turned to vaping substances. Uh, for example, um, about three years ago, um, you know, eighteen percent of seniors were vaping nicotine. Eighteen percent. Today is thirty-four oh percent. Um, three years ago, nine percent of seniors were vaping marijuana. Nine percent. Today, it's twenty-two percent. Mm. So we are seeing a surge of adolescents who are vaping. And there is research that's starting to come out. One, one research study is from the uh, Rochester Medical Center that shows that for both adults and kids who are vaping, they are more likely to report difficulty in concentrating and remembering. So, you know, vaping, it doesn't come without its consequences. Um, and, and these kids who are vaping these substances, whether it's nicotine or whether it's marijuana or it's some fruit flavor, um, they, they, they just don't know how that's affecting them. Because regardless of what you're vaping, you're taking a substance, turning it into a vapor and inhaling it into your lungs. So that has the potential for some long-term consequences. But we are seeing that people who are vaping are having difficulty concentrating and with their, with their memory. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to have her listen to this because she, she does it because she's stressed out. And, and I think, I definitely think this needs to be, a, there needs to be more education on it because when you're surrounded by your friends, who says, oh yeah, it's not that harmful. I do it all the time. That's all they know. That's all they hear is from other friends that are telling them that it's not harmful. Yeah. And if that's all they hear, they think that there's nothing wrong with it. If all their friends are doing it, it must be okay. <laughs> but, but she did, she did mention that the reason she's using is to manage stress. Um, and so she, she may very well be under a lot of stress. We don't know why, but, 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 but she is. So, you know, the key is, can she learn other ways to deal with this stress that maybe aren't potentially as harmful? We don't want to ignore the stress. We want to validate it. We want, we want to appreciate that that's what she's struggling with, but we want to try and encourage her to look for other ways to deal with that stress. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's important to have that conversation. So I do, I do try to have that conversation with her on telling her there's you, there's other things you could do when you're stressed out. <laughs> you don't have to do that. <laughs> She's got to want to do them though. Well, and, and exactly, exactly. And it's hard to be an adult out there, right. To be on your own and all that though, of course there's going to yeah. be stress, but um, that's what happens when kids want to grow up too fast, right. They want to 
they're ready to take on the world, but they don't realize what comes with it. Well, and and this pandemic hasn't helped things. Uh, no, you know whether whether you're an adolescent or you're a parent, this pandemic has has shifted so much, and 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 we're just now beginning to see the ramifications of some of this pa uh, pandemic as it comes to mental health. One example is that the CDC is reporting that since the pandemic began, there's been about a 24% increase in the ER visits of grade school children. So this pandemic is disrupting, you know, kids' life left and right, as, as it is adults as well. That is so heartbreaking, especially when it's, the younger kids, yes, you know, and oh my gosh, I, I just, I, I can't imagine. And my son's a senior and already, you know, his last year of high school has been impacted and yeah. so on. So it's, it's very difficult. How, um, let's see, when it comes to adults, how are you able to help them with their abuses? Well, there are some differences between um, adult addiction and adolescent addiction. Uh, first of all, we don't diagnose anybody, whether it's an adult or a child, as being an addict. That's not a diagnosis. If it applies, we will give a diagnosis of substance abuse disorder. Um, and, and it can be either mild, moderate, or severe, depending on the number of negative consequences uh, that are involved with a child or an adult's use. But one of the differences between adults and, and adolescents is brain development. You know, the brain is developing in an adolescent. Our brains don't get fully developed till we're 24, 25. So that's one of the risks that a, that a child ha has when they start using a substance is they're putting substance into a developing brain, which means not only are they more at risk of becoming dependent on that substance, but they can do some damage to their short-term memory, to the processing speed of their brain, to their motivation. Um, so brain development is one difference. The, the other difference is in terms of consequences. Ad adults who are addicted to a substance oftentimes have faced catastrophic consequences in their life. They may have lost a marriage. They may have lost a job. They may have been incarcerated. Uh, adolescents, on the other hand, face very few consequences other than perhaps their parents uh, putting some restrictions on them. So mm -hmm. those are two big differences. Um, and, and because of those severe consequences that adults often have faced as a result of their addiction, they sometimes are more open to, to, to seeking treatment. They've gotten to the point where they've had so many catastrophic consequences that they're driven to, um, to, to, to seek some type of, of, of therapy or some type of, uh, of treatment. Adolescents, on the other hand, they don't believe they've got a problem to begin with, so uh, they are much less likely to, uh, to, to want to engage in treatment. Have you had, after you've treated these adolescents have you had them have to come back because they just couldn't go forward with the treatment 
many of the ones that I treated, because I worked in, in a psychiatric hospital, mm -hmm. many of the uh, adolescents that came to us not only were using a substance, they also had severe underlying psychological issues. Mm -hmm. They may have had severe anxiety. They may have severe depression, suicidal thoughts. They may have had a history of self-injury or eating disorders. They may have had a history of trauma. So when, when, when we completed our assessment on them, many times they were referred to a longer-term residential treatment program because the underlying issues were so severe that they needed longer-term treatment. And um, my book goes through, there's a chapter on my book that helps parents understand what the treatment options are. There are multiple treatment options. Um, and the section on my book uh, that deals with assessments drives home the point that the, the need for a comprehensive assessment is critical because it's the comprehensive assessment that will set the treatment plan and will help you as a parent make the decision as to which kind of treatment you need. There is no one size fits all treatment. Uh, it, it all goes back to the assessment, which will drive what kind of treatment you need. Many, many kids will do good with an outpatient program. Uh, many will need an intensive outpatient program, which means they go to counseling maybe two or three times a week. But some, because of the underlying issues, they're so severe, they may be looking at a, a, at a residential type setting of, of, of many months. Uh, to, to, to help them. How have you helped the parents who are in denial when they, when they come in to see you and you're trying to explain to them what's going on? There are some parents out there who are like, there's no way. My, my kid does not have a problem. We can fix it at home. That's it. H how do you deal with situations like that? Usually the situation gets so intolerable that parents are almost backed into a corner. It's gotten to the point where they no longer can deny that this is an issue. They may have been doing that for a long time, but now the child may be getting in trouble in school. He may be in trouble with law enforcement. The grades may have tanked. Um, <clears throat> the, the behavior may have become totally intolerable to where the parents are, are backed into a corner and they have to finally face this issue that they have a child who may not only be using a substance, but has a serious underlying issue to accompany it. I know that's hard. I can't imagine um, because in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, I know my kids aren't perfect, but it would be hard for me to have to, to deal with that because you think you're doing everything you can, but there's things that fall through the cracks that you can't always keep, um, a hold of. So what are some signs that you could tell us to look out for? Well, um, again, in my book, um, I, I list some fairly specific warning signs that parents mm. should look for when it comes to alcohol. Mm. Uh, there are different signs when it comes to, say, looking for marijuana. Mm -hmm. There are different signs if you suspect your child might have an eating disorder. Mm. There are different signs if you suspect your child uh, might be self-harming themselves. And all of those are listed in my book. Mm -hmm. um, there is a separate chapter 
on process disorders, which are like eating disorders and self-injury. So parents are aware of them because they often accompany a child using a substance. Uh, but as a general rule, uh, the book has specific warning signs, but as a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. Mm -hmm. uh, don't assume that the changes are just normal adolescent development or acting out. They may very well be, but don't assume that um, and follow up to get an assessment. So, for example, if you had a child that was very social and now becomes more isolating, if you have a child whose grades were very good and now you see they start to decline, mm -hmm. if you see a child who took pride in their appearance and no longer cares what they look like, these are examples of general warning signs that you should pay attention to and follow up on. I'm so glad you brought that up because those are some of the things that we would think is normal. Yeah, he's going through this phase. Yeah, they're just tired. Yeah, they're just bored, whatever the case is. But those can be those signs that tell you something is wrong. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and and the more of these warning signs that you see, the more likely there may be something going on. So if you see mm -hmm. one, okay, it, it might just be uh, a temporary acting out. But if you mm -hmm. start to see two or three or four of them, then the light bulb comes on and you think, okay, maybe there's something really going on underneath the surface I need to check out. Absolutely. There's one other thing that I think uh, a lot of parents are afraid of as well is when they go and when you are told that it might be best for your child to go get treatment inpatient or outpatient a lot of parents might feel well i don't want to do that i'm not you know there's this this misconception about sending your chi child there but they're actually very helpful and that's why they're out there because sometimes that's the best form of treatment. Can you just talk about that a little bit on on why we shouldn't be so quick to judge on sending our children to get treated there? It, it, it's a difficult situation for any parent to confront. I mean, no parent likes to come to the realization that their child has a serious, such a serious issue that it's going to require longer term treatment. Um, but but I've talked to parents and, and I've even had uh, responses back from kids who have gone through the treatment and maybe they've been in treatment for three months, six months. I've seen some of them in treatment for more than 12 months mm -hmm. who later come back and, 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 and it's a remarkable tran transition. They are, mm -hmm. they are so much different. They, 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 they have improved by leaps and bounds. So initially it's a difficult decision. But I think as a parent, if if after you get past that initial decision and your child is in treatment and maybe two months, three months, four months down the road, you begin to see the transition in your child and the improvement in your child, then you can begin to see, okay, uh, this was a tough decision for me to make, but it was in the best interest, not only for my child, but for, for our family. And, and, and you can see your child improve, significantly improve. No, that's great. It's it's really important. What's one thing or, or a couple of things that you would want to reiterate, tell our listeners that are listening and watching this about, about what we covered today? Number one, buy a copy of the book. Yes. Um, 
you can you can read it on an electronic reader for 99 cents. So for less than a dollar, you can have this resource and 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 read it very quickly and have it uh, and have the information for 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 99 cents. Um, if you prefer a paperback version, you can get that for less than 10 dollars. Um, there's also a parent workbook that I put together. It also is very brief because I recognize that parents need help too. So the parent workbook helps you as a parent process some of these emotions that you may be having about a about your child. Uh, it has some exercises in it. And it, it has a few exercises on how to handle anxiety, for example. Um, and it has um, information uh, on how to communicate with your child better because we can all become better mm. at, at communicating and and regardless of whether your child is 10 or 11 or 18 or 23 you can learn some communication skills you know we're very good at listening to people's words when we talk to them so mm. when we talk to our child we're very good at hearing what they're saying what the words are but we're not so good sometimes at listening to the feelings that are behind those words and every one of us uh, and every parent can practice listening skills so that when we're talking to our child we're not just hearing the words we're hearing the emotions and the feelings behind those words so that the child really begins to feel that they're being understood and there's some exercises in the workbook to help you with that. So number one, buy the book, buy the electronic version for 99 cents, become knowledgeable because knowledge is power. The more that you know, the better you'll be prepared. Hopefully you'll never need the stuff that's in the book, but you might know somebody who does and you can use it as a resource for them. That's perfect. And I love that you have that parent handbook or the workbook. That's perfect. Because we need yeah. that so bad, and you're right. The the communication sometimes is very difficult to to have. Because sometimes we just want to, you know, put our wave our hand over the situation, and we don't want to have that hard talk. But right. nowadays, it's so needed. So yes. we just really need to have that. Um, and so the name of the book is "The Addicted Child: A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse." So we need to go find that. Do you have a website, sir? Yes, I do, and okay. and that's one of the easiest ways to, uh, uh, to 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 go and order the book. Uh, also, if you visit the website, you will see endorsements that have been made by professionals. Uh, you will you can read some book reviews that have been written about the book. Um, you can see uh, a, a chapter outline of the apparent workbook. You can read a sample of the book itself, um, and um, you can order the book uh, off of the website. Uh, it'll take you directly to Amazon. Um, and then there's a way that you can communicate with me as well. The, the website is located at www.helptheaddictedchild.com. www.helptheaddictedchild.com. That's perfect. I love this. I am so, I'm so glad that we were able to work this out and have you on here because like I told you guys in the beginning, we've never talked about this before and it's something that's lost, lost in translation. And we definitely need to be more aware of it and really get our hands on this book to not just help ourselves, but maybe help somebody else. So thank you so much, sir, for being on here. I really appreciate the work that you do. Um, where, what do you foresee? What, what do you want to happen in the next few years? Well, 
you know, if 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 I had my wish, uh, I would I would hope that the education system uh, would begin to use more of a neuroscience approach to helping youngsters uh, realize the, the dangers associated with using a substance. Begin that neuroscience approach at a very early age in elementary school, and then reinforce it every year all the way through high school. Because what I noticed in, in working with adolescents is it, it, it doesn't do me any good to talk about these substances being illegal. It doesn't do me any good to tell them, well, if you keep using, you're likely to, to get bad grades and drop out of school and not go to college and not get a job because they don't believe any of that. Yeah. Um, but, but what I found does work with them is the neuroscience approach, helping them understand how their brain works, helping them to understand how these substances work within their brain, that they paid attention to, and that is more likely to have an impact on them. Um, and that's why I'm saying begin that neuroscience education tied to how drugs work within the brain during elementary school years and, and reinforce it every year through high school. It's what I found works with teenagers. When I worked with, with them and they were using marijuana, it didn't do me any good to tell them marijuana was illegal. They didn't care. But when I could show them how it affected their brain, when I show them uh, how their brain is structured and where marijuana attaches itself to the brain, then they began to see, now I understand how my short-term memory isn't as good as I wanted. Now I understand why, why you know, uh, my motivation isn't as good as I wanted uh, because I could show them, you know, through, through testing how this drug had affected their brain. But they were really interested in, in learning about the brain and how these substances work in the brain. That's that's a genius approach. You're right. They don't care about anything else, but you no. show them and it's like, oh my gosh, that is pretty harmful. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of scary how harmful it is. And they soak it up because they, they're curious. They're interested. They want to know how the brain works. They want, they want to know what part of the brain controls this behavior and this activity. So when you can link that to what drugs are doing to that kind part of the brain, then you have their attention. Mm. Genius. That's great. Thank you again so much for all this information. Again, you guys go get the, go to his website, get the addicted child and read up on all of this information. Thank you so much again, sir, for being on here. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the opportunity to discuss this, uh, this subject and, and thank you for your comments too. I think, I think they were very helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Truths We Hide podcast, created and founded by your host, Annette, the founder of A Wild Ride Call Life. Also, a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.